I'm Brian Myers. I'm Mike Ritalik. I'm Becky Haddad. And this is Owl Pellets, a podcast featuring tips for ag teachers. We are your agricultural education resource across the web, sharing research-based tips and tackling the tough questions facing agriculture teachers every day. Hello, Owl Pellets. This is Brian here with Becky and Mike. We have gathered today a uh, a gaggle. Is that what we call a group of researchers? A gaggle, uh, a murder of crows, a... I don't know what the unit of measure for one group of professors is, uh, but we have one today and uh, we are excited to have a great conversation. Uh, this group of, of folks presented uh, their research at the NACTA conference, the North American Colleges and Teachers of Agriculture Conference, and we saw their great work and we brought them together. And so we're going to get started here and allow them a chance to introduce themselves. And so, uh, Amanda, why don't you get us kicked off telling us about uh, who you are? Hello, everyone. I'm Amanda Bowling. I'm an assistant professor of agri-science education at The Ohio State University. Yes, we are required to say the The. Um, it is in our contract. Uh, but um, I, like I said, I work with our agri-science teachers, uh, primarily focus on um, teaching methods and working with our seniors as they prepare to enter um, student teaching and then hopefully enter the teaching field. Uh, my research expertise actually more falls along the lines of uh, youth motivation and how we get our teachers to think about and motivate students. But I work with some excellent graduate students that their focus is on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And so they've included me in their journey and learning and engaging in um, diversity, equity, and inclusion within our school-based um, agricultural education program. So happy to be here. Thanks, Amanda. And we appreciate you being a frequent flyer here on Owl Pellets. Uh, Colby, why don't you introduce yourself, please? Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Colby Gregg. I'm a former ag teacher and a third-year PhD student here at The Ohio State University. Um, Dr. Bowling has a lot of really great grad students, and none of them could be here, which is why I'm here today. So <laughs> happy to be here. Uh, Colby fits right in with this crowd. We are so glad that you're here. We will practice to make sure we put the emphasis on the the whenever we introduce you all. Um, Maria, welcome to Alpella. Tell us a little bit about yourselves, if you would. Sure. Well, thank you, Brian. I'm happy to be here for my first Al Pellets. So I'm Maria Bergen. I'm an associate professor of agribusiness at Illinois State University, know the and our name. Uh, I spent my first nine years of my career at a community college in East Central Illinois, and I've been here at ISU now. This is my seventh year. So my teaching is in agribusiness, things like futures and options, price analysis, farm management, things like that. But I do a lot of research on farm decision-making, nutrient loss mitigation, but also more importantly for us here, the scholarship of teaching and learning, things like um, how we can structure group projects in a class to make a positive student learning experience for career preparation, a lot of work with student demographics and backgrounds with my co-author who you're gonna meet in our next introduction. And so that's how I came to be here and I appreciate being included today, thank you. Thanks, Maria. And Justin, she, gave, she just gave you that intro right in there. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Well, I appreciate the opportunity to be here. It's always a little bit nerve wracking to follow Maria and her and I have worked uh, very closely together for a very long time now. Uh, my name is Justin Rickard and I am an associate professor of animal science at Illinois State University. 
my training is actually as an applied uh, fresh meat scientist. So I'm a meat scientist by training, but in my uh, current role at ISU, I, I would consider myself to be a, a general animal scientist uh, who has to function as a jack of all trades. I, um, Maria and I's connection um, to this end is, is through, like she said, the scholarship of teaching and learning and how we can um, try to become more or better educators, I guess, in our, in our classrooms, regardless of our, of our discipline. Uh, certainly coming at it from the perspective of someone who has no formal training in how to teach people, um, but is expected to do so on a daily basis. So appreciate the appreciate the opportunity and thanks for having us. Yeah, so glad you guys are here. And, and we did as a disclaimer, I did share with them that I am I am a displaced Illinois farm boy. I have two degrees from a, a state institution in Illinois that has the same letters as ISU, just in different orders. I went to SIU, Southern Illinois University at Carbondale. So uh, we, we're like we're like academic cousins or something. I don't know what we are. I'm SIU class of 1997. So I'm with you. We graduated the same year then. There you go. Interesting. I, I know it. So um, it, it, that's just weird. I'm, I'm just befuddled now. It's not, it's not a big place. We should have known each other. Um, so we're going to talk today about diversity, equity, inclusion, and agriculture as we look at these sort of things. There's a couple of great papers that you all put together or um, discussions you had here. Uh, Maria, you and Justin talked about, says you're all farmers, right? Students' perceptions of classmates and instructors' experiences. Uh, would one of you kind of give us a, a, a real quick overview of what you all talked about in that, in that work? Well, Maria's not unmuting herself, so I guess this is, <laughs> I guess this is my turn. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll try to make this uh, very brief, uh, but I had, a, uh, I had a graduate student several years ago who was from the Chicago suburbs, and uh, she was studying uh, meat science with me, and I first met her as an undergraduate, and through my experiences with her, um, I learned what it was like to, to be her in the classroom. And so when she arrived at Illinois State, she had an assumption that everyone else in the classroom grew up on a farm. And because of that, it was a challenge for her to want to ask questions or um, sometimes be more engaged in the learning process. And I think I learned as much from her or more than she learned from me. And so that was the kind of the starting off point for Maria and I's line of, of research in this area. And essentially what we found, uh, I think could be summarized by saying that uh, students' perceptions of their classmates' experience with, with production agriculture certainly has an impact, or, or at least we have seen that it has an impact on, on their learning and how, and how engaged they are. And uh, we talk a lot about uh, changing student demographics, right? Students don't come from farms anymore. Well, we've been talking about that for 20 years. And okay, so some of them do and some of them don't, but, but having a better understanding of, of how that can impact their willingness to ask questions um, and be engaged in the process. And then also their perceptions of what the instructors know. Right now, now we have university staff with faculty who also didn't grow up on farms. And, um, and I think that's certainly changed the dynamics. So that's what we're trying to trying to look into here. Great. That's fantastic. Thanks, Justin. So 
we're going to talk a lot about perceptions in here. And that leads us right into the work there that, that Colby and, and Amanda did for us. So why don't you guys talk about your work uh, titled Describing Prejudices Held by Midwestern Secondary Agriculture Teachers. Absolutely. Um, I can describe this because this is actually, it, it came from an assignment that I had to do for Dr. Bowling in our data collection class. And so kind of fun full circle here. Um, side note, I used to teach in the Chicago suburbs. So if y'all are academic cousins, I'm an academic third cousin, 18 times removed. Um, and this kind of came from the lines of me coming from Oklahoma, which seemed like a very unwelcoming uh, ag teacher culture to those who were not a part of the end group to Illinois, which seemed very welcoming um, to those who were not particularly in the end group. And so um, this study tried to examine ag teachers and their um, levels of prejudice towards other ag teachers that maybe don't look like themselves. And so we measured uh, homophobia, we measured racism, and we measured sexism. Um, all in all, uh, basically, prejudice is what we consider a negative feeling or a negative emotion towards another person. And so as we're talking about prejudice here, it's really important to note that it's not necessarily actions. It's not necessarily active things that someone is doing. And so you can have prejudice without acting prejudiced or acting negatively towards another person. Um, so it's very important that we kind of make that notation before we talk about um, how prejudiced ag teachers can be. Um, but essentially, we found that within the in-group of ag teachers, um, we do still have um, fairly low but still present levels of homophobia, sexism, and racism. And this is super important to really call out and recognize as we're wanting to uh, recruit and retain diverse teachers. When we're wanting to recruit and retain teachers that don't necessarily look like ag ed has looked over the past hundred years as we move to the future. Um, and so that was kind of what, what kind of came out of uh, our study. So Colby, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but to call out the elephant in the recording studio, um, there are, <laughs> you know, we've, we've gathered seven white people today to talk about diversity. Um, so could each of you maybe give a little perspective for us as far as how do we approach and understand this diversity talk? You know, we, I think, I, I don't want to assume we've got a certain threshold when we, you know, start our, when we talk about in-groups and homophobia and sexism and prejudice. So when we think about types of diversity and kind of that perceptions of experience, those changing demographics, what are some things that we need to understand about approaching this conversation um, as as we kind of get going today. Well, if, if you don't mind, did you throw that out to everybody? I'm sorry, I just unmuted myself. Okay, <laughs> sorry about that. You you know, one, one thing that, that Justin and I really came to understand in the work we've done looking at our student demographics is we think it's important to recognize that diversity cuts across sometimes categories that we don't necessarily think of, you know, we're looking at, you know, students who came from farms and students who didn't, students from urban areas, suburban areas, rural areas, we have students who are the first person in their family to go to college, um, you know, so I think there are a lot of different areas of diversity that need to be recognized, and there's, there's a need for, you know, 
acknowledgement of that and ways to include all of these different students, which can play out in a variety of different ways. So I, I just want to make sure that, that we don't lose in the shuffle, that it's not just what we think of as, you know, sort of, I'll air quote this, not that you can see it, but traditional diversity metrics, but there are other things at play as well. I appreciate that that comment, Maria, and, and let's unpack that a little bit, because I think that's that's what's intriguing about me, and, and I think about these issues from an individual standpoint from time to time, and um, we, we're always in our own heads about how we feel and, and, and our perceptions of the of a classroom and in our experiences and assume what other what we think other people have for experiences and how do we have those conversations to help people realize that kind of like Justin said he had a had a student in an animal science class that didn't understand was not the typical student so how do we how do we have those conversations and work through our students to build that awareness that we all have those questions and we all feel have some of somewhat of those similar feelings when we go into a classroom and don't feel comfortable in those environments so how what are some best practices and some conversations that we can have i mean i i think um, for me uh, one of the things that i have learned is that <clears throat> excuse me i've been able to do a I don't explore the, the group project uh, nearly as much as, as Maria has in, in several of her courses, but I have tried to, to implement some different things, whether it's, um, you know, you have students take uh, base knowledge surveys at the beginning of the class to try to, you know, try to gauge where everyone's at in a, in a manner that doesn't require them to raise their hand publicly and announce that they don't know. Um, and then I've done some different things where we try to, you know, you come up with a metric of experience levels and then you try to pair people together. So you've got a, maybe an inexperienced person with an experienced person. And I think sometimes the best uh, classroom experiences I've had or I have seen um, have been the ones where we have a very a, a mixed audience, right? So you've got kids that came from a beef cattle production farm and those that, you know, are just learning what a cow looks like. Um, I think you can, those can be, those can be very effective. And once I, once I realized that um, the hardest thing that students would tell me if I asked them was that they didn't understand the lingo, right? They could learn the, the science. That was not a problem, but it was standing in the hallway and not knowing, just not knowing the, the lingo and feeling like they couldn't, uh, you know, we are, we're an interesting department because we're two-thirds transfer students. Um, and so the two-thirds transfer students from some of our uh, community colleges meet up with students who are here for all four years and a completely different dynamic takes place. So once I recognized that, it became easier to, I guess, fix things maybe or get, get that direction. So I would also add that um, it's important to as as Dr. Haddad mentioned, talk about the elephant in the room, right? And so actually state that we can recognize that maybe diversity isn't as uh, where we want it to be. And um, I would argue that diversity isn't really the metric we should be looking at. We should be looking at inclusion as more of a metric. Um, I think it was the actress, uh, not actress, uh, director Ava DuVernay that said, I've never known how it felt to be diverse, but I've known how it felt to be included. And we can look at and talk about diversity, but as long as those individuals that are the diversity aren't feeling included, we're not doing a whole lot. We're, we're 
kind of keeping up with the same. And so just talking about that and recognizing that getting people through the door isn't the last step. Getting a diverse class isn't the last step. It's then how do we include them? How do we incorporate them within the future of agriculture? And one of the things that really excites me about talking about your two papers here together is the idea of acknowledging that a variety of perceptions and honestly prejudices exist in our classrooms based on our own experiences. We just, they're, they're there either. And, and they're based off of what we have, whether I grew up in an urban area, not knowing what that cow looks like. And I think all the other things about everybody else or, or all the other metrics that we might end up having. And, and how do we, how do we provide an, an environment that is inclusive to our students? And there's a lot of ways to handle that. And, and one of the things that I would like us to talk about, because I know, we, we can talk a lot at diversity, equity, inclusion, but we don't sometimes don't talk really about get at the issue and find things that we can be doing with it about how do we create that environment to where students do feel included in doing that. And Justin provided some examples from your work in there. Colby, from your and Amanda's work, what are some things that you came up with that we should be, be doing as individual educators in our high school, middle school classrooms, but also collectively to help provide that level of inclusion that, that you were, were, were uh, looking for here? Absolutely. So um, the first piece, like I had kind of already mentioned, is don't leave it in a corner. Talk about it. Have, have those discussions to keep them at the, at the forefront. Um, I would also say that, that really being an ally is going to be your first and biggest step into developing an inclusive classroom, um, particularly when it comes to those uh, comments that maybe aren't discipline worthy, but aren't necessarily good. Um, and so if they're microaggressions toward any particular group, um, really serving as a leader in your classroom and saying, why is that funny? I don't get that. Um, can you explain that a little bit? And, and eventually those gears turn in the head of, of some of our students and say, okay, maybe this wasn't as great um, to, to say out loud. And so really stating when you see things that are othering others um, or excluding others and immediately fixing it in the moment, even though it may be awkward. Because I think that's why a lot of people avoid doing that even when, even when they see it and they, they think that they should but then they don't because it's awkward and, and it's not an easy conversation to have. And so really stepping in in those moments when you see those is going to be our first and biggest step. I think to build off of what um, Colby discussed, it's acknowledging, you know, as educators, we're lifelong learners in, in what we do. And the idea of, of having an inclusive and equitable classroom should be a part of being a lifelong learner. We should continue to engage with resources, with professional development, even if it can make us feel uncomfortable. And I think part of, of this process is acknowledging that, acknowledging that it's going to be uncomfortable, it's going to be uneasy, and that's okay. That's part of the growth process. And then it's um, having our, our, our in-service teachers think about what our small but meaningful steps they could start with. I, I feel like that's a, a, um, a barrier that a lot of our teachers see is they, if they are engaging in the professional development, if they are reading and, and, and thinking about inclusive behaviors and equitable behaviors, they seem big and daunting. 
but it's even reeling it back to what's a really small thing I could start with in, you know, thinking about when we're using case studies or examples in our classroom, using um, names that are representative of, of cultures that our students aren't from or race and or ethnicity groups that our students aren't from just to slowly in integrate that inclusive idea that agriculture isn't just for one race or, or one sex, um, you know, thinking about giving welding um, demonstrations, having community members come in that are female, that are breaking kind of those stereotypes that our students might hold. And those are just small steps that our teachers can start to make as they think about how do I incorporate, how do I make these changes in what I do day to day? I think those are some great things. And, you know, we talk about here and Justin kind of alluded to this too, related to what Colby, you and Becky or Amanda were, were talking about is we're, we're teachers, we're educators. And in order for them to learn, they have to be comfortable and feel included and safe in that environment. And if they assume they're the only one that doesn't know something, they're not going to, they're not going to, to engage in, in those sort of things. And so, you know, Maybe Justin and Maria, you guys from your work, what are some other things that you found on, on the perceptions that these students had? And we can see kind of, again, what I want to see is kind of that comparison between how the perceptions on somebody else's is all in agriculture they already know compared to some of these other areas that we, we look at as we try to provide that inclusive environment. Yeah, you know, as Justin kind of already mentioned, our, our focus um, in the study that that we've been looking at really focuses on things like students' agricultural backgrounds and, and what they think is going on with all of their classmates. And so we're finding things like, you know, this, they, these students believe that everybody around them has a lot of experience, much more so than they have. They believe that all of their professors have a high level of actual production agriculture experience. And I, I would imagine that would feel very isolating for those students. So, you know, one thing that I try to do every semester in acknowledgement of this, I teach our farm management class. So you would think, well, farm management, they've all got to come from farms. It's been as little as 20% of the class reports that they actually have grown up on a farm. I do a survey on the first day and usually on the second day of class, I release the results and I show things like, you know, whatever the percentage is, this percent of you grew up on farms, trying to lay that groundwork for the students that you are surrounded by other people who don't have the background that you think they do. And this is a safe place to ask those questions. So, you know, we, Justin and I both try really hard just to acknowledge that and make sure the students know that we are aware they don't all come from that kind of background that maybe they think they should quote unquote have in order to thrive in this kind of environment. So acknowledging that and finding ways to work that into what we're doing in the classroom, I think is very important. And, you know, my understanding from our, you know, high school or, you know, our secondary uh, groups is it's the same kind of thing. There are an awful lot of those students who don't come from a farm. So the high school teachers are facing these same, these same kind of challenges that we are. We've touched on a variety of diversity. And I think one of the things um, that I know I'm guilty of is needing sometimes some help to see what my students might need or what my students might bring. So when we're thinking about our ag teacher 
audience and kind of helping ourselves see when it can be pretty easy, I think, depending on the community you're in to say, I don't need that. My community is this or, you know, whatever, fill in the blank for whatever that community is that I don't need to be part of this conversation. What are some of those things that we need to be thinking about that we need to kind of see to acknowledge what's, what our classrooms or our programs look like? I mean, I, uh, for, for me, from my perspective, I would say that um, a lot of it is, is class or, or topic specific. And, and what I mean by that is, uh, so I mentioned that I was a meat scientist. So I teach our, our meat science course, and then I teach a couple uh, foods related courses. And that's a completely different environment than beef cattle management. And the reason is because everyone can talk about food, right? Everyone can talk about food. We don't have to know anything about animal production and we can have some, we have had some very wonderful conversations about, I mean, people that grew up on different sides of town and cooking different types of food and uh, things, things just tend to mesh a lot better there. Um, and that's just something that I, I wanted to mention that I, I know um, to follow up with something that Maria had mentioned earlier, you know, we have some, work in addition to this that is just focused on uh, what do you mean when you say that you came from a farm and what does that actually ride did you write you rode in a combine once 10 years ago um, with a neighbor and when I pulled the class and asked everybody to raise their hands who came from a farm you all raise your hands and um, I think anytime we can do things in a more uh, I guess initially in a more kind of anonymous or confidential way to gauge where we're at um, and then, and then move forward from there. And I don't think that that's hiding it. I think that it's trying to, to make an effort to provide a more comfortable environment for people to at least kind of get out initial thoughts. And then you can, you can structure changes, you know, on the fly, according, according to that, right? Because every group is different. Every, every group of students is different. So. I think it's also important as we, as we recognize like especially with high school ag teachers, it's our job to connect the content to the student where they're at and to show them and explain how is this important to you in everyday life. And I think that really to answer your question, it's an extension of that, that you know, activity of saying, hey, this is an important conversation and this is how it impacts your life. Um, particularly because you're not always going to be in a, small group that is always homogenous, that is always going to look the same. You are going to have to interact with others at some point in some way, shape or form. Um, and so in reality, these conversations impact everyone because you never know who you're going to be working with in the future. And so really between those two, those two things, making that connection to your students about what why we're having these conversations should be fairly straightforward. And, and these are, we, we talk about these kind of conversations we need to be having with our students and modeling this with our own professional interactions with other ag teachers. It, these are hard, these are hard things to talk about, but I think there's a lot of opportunities here. I would love your reactions is to begin the conversation with maybe some things that, that aren't, giving me some guidelines in there to talk about okay, your background as a farming or non-farming and, and the assumptions you make from there. And then we can talk about all the other, the other things that make us who we are and, and be part of those conversations to, to really have that inclusive culture that we're trying to get at here, because we spend a lot of time talking about the breakdown of, of just ag literacy and what sort of things. And that, 
we make these assumptions that people believe one way or if they're from here or for other place, or there's one type of person does this, there are so many similarities and how do we build a, an environment that respects people's differences, but also understands that uh, we have, we can begin by there to have that conversation around what agriculture is and what, what it means. Um, and at the top of mind for me, because I, I just spend time, I mean, I live in Florida now and we had a long conversation with a bunch of Florida ag producers now, and we were in Washington, DC. And when they say the word agriculture in Washington, DC, they do not think of Florida agriculture. They think of the agriculture I grew up in, corn and soybeans, and they have no idea. They don't talk about blueberries and tomatoes and strawberries and, and that sort of thing to talk about. And so even we think we're saying the same language, they're not. And it's important for us to have and be intentional about creating an inclusive environment from everything about even what agriculture means to your background as, as where you grew up to who you are as an individual and all of that makes who you are and, and to be able to, to kind of build that environment or you can't have a conversation. And I think that stems and in is connected to uh, we as the teachers being open and honest about um, our own differences and our own breakaways from, from stereotypes and our own um, uh, ways that we, we are different. And, you know, just thinking about myself, when I would work with my students around their, their SAEs, you know, students have this idea in their head, in particular in rural Missouri, where I taught that it needed to be row crops and cows. And that's just unrealistic. And so it's encouraging them and, and letting them see that the experiences they're getting don't have to be tied to such traditional thought. Uh, and I would share with them, you know, my SAE was um, working in a cabinet shop, um, you know, and I taught most of our, I taught all of our woodworking classes. Um, so I was trying to um, really show our students that it's, it doesn't matter who you are, as long as you have the interest and willingness to engage in that type of setting, you can be successful. Um, and I would share with them, you know what, I raised chinchillas. Um, I read, I bred um, ball pythons or tried to, it's unbelievably hard to make snakes breed. You would uh, humidity. It's a humidity thing. Um, it's probably why they do so well in Florida. <laughs> but um, so it's sharing our own experiences. And, and then if you are working with, um, if you're in more of a rural setting and, and probably working with a more homogenous group of students, it's getting them to see that they have differences within themselves. They have identities um, that, especially with our high school students, that they will align with and how those identities um, can help them see themselves. But then also what do people see as those stereotypes? So when you think about the sports kid or where you think about the traditional FFA kid or um, you think about the kid that loves art and how do we help them see that while the room may be homogenous, they still do possess differences that still maintain stereotypes. So getting them to see, wow, someone might think that about me can help them start to see the larger picture of looking at DEI around the more traditional race, ethnicity, gender, 
roles that we can, that may, they may not be able to engage with in their small community. Well, thank you all very much. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Hopefully, you know, all of us, you know, when I first was reading the, this, this work, Maria and Justin, your paper talking about we're, we're all farmers, right? You know, sometimes we think about, well, you're just a farmer. We kind of, you know, bow up a little bit in there, but hopefully we all use that to think about how we can create a, a comfortable and an inclusive environment for everybody in our classrooms that we're working with, because that is so important. Because again, I go back to what Justin said earlier, they have to be comfortable in order to learn. And that's, and that's ultimately what we're wanting to do. And for whatever reason, if, we're, if they're not feeling included, uh, we're not able to do what it is that we love to do, which is educate and pour ourselves into, into our students. And, and that's part of what we get to do. And so I really appreciate the work that, that all of you and, and your team have put together. Amanda, Colby, Maria, Justin, thank you so much for being with us here today on, on Owl Pellets. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of Owl Pellets. Check out our website for more information on this topic and to learn more about our guests. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to stay connected. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll never miss an episode. For Mike and Becky, this is Brian here by the Owl Pellets saying thank you, and we look forward to seeing you again on another episode of Owl Pellets, Tips for Ag Teachers.